0: Yeah, come on. Yeah, welcome home. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm excited to be here and to worship with you. God is so good, right? He is so... Good. I just want to talk about Jesus all day. Is that all right with you? That's what we're supposed to do here, right? It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'm excited for our vision night tonight. We're really going to be talking about our heart to make everything about Jesus. So I encourage you, if you call this place home, to be here. We're going to get into some of the fun stuff like finances, things like that. So so come join us. It'll be a great time. But if you could RCP, I guess it's a little late now because the food's already cooking, but we'll figure out how to feed you if you, if you sign up today. So be there tonight, 4 o'clock, and then we'll eat at 530. Um, Yeah, so if you're new today, thanks for being here. We're so glad that you would join us. I know it's such a big deal to go somewhere new, so I just want to honor you for uh, taking the time to be here and and taking that step of faith. I know for me, I I like to be comfortable, right? Does anyone like to be comfortable in this place, right? I I, I don't always like to go in a new environment, so the fact that you came here today, it just means a lot to me, and I just want to say thanks for being here. So today we're going to continue our Gospel of Mark sermon series. We are in part 52, we started this in summer of 2021. We've taken some breaks along the way. Now we're in part 52. So if you have your Bibles, turn, or turn to Mark 14, verse 43. is where we're going to hang out today. And for the last few weeks of this series, we've been in the final hours of Jesus' life. Some of those hours John Kruger talked about during communion, how, how Jesus shared a final Passover meal, and he introduced communion. And then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed. and And John talked about how... Jesus was filled with agony at the thought of facing the cross. And obviously, you know, physical crucifixion, that is scary. But even more so than that, he was agonizing at the fact that his father would turn his back on him on the cross so that he could pour out all of his wrath on Jesus. And at the end of the passage last week, we saw that Jesus was able to submit himself to God's will. So even though it was difficult, he was able uh, to submit. It said this in verse 41. It says, it's enough, the hour has come. This is Jesus talking here. He says, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And then it's immediate, or it's following this that that we're gonna pick up our passage today. So it says this in verse 43. It says he, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But then one of those who stood by drew his sword, And struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and yet you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, and he went streaking." No, good, but but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, so I guess that's my translation. But but the title of the sermon is surrender. To the defender. Surrender to the defender. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving me this text to preach today on streaking and cutting off ears. Lord, we pray that you would speak through this text and that you would get to our hearts, even in the midst of a kind of a strange passage. So, Lord, we love you, and we just invite you to move. This is your church, Jesus. This is uh, your house. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what you want to do today. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so back in middle school, I played percussion for the school band. So that meant, you know, playing the xylophone, the cymbals, like, like once every five minutes. Like it takes a lot of talent to do that, but uh, he you know, played the snare drum, and I really didn't like band. I don't know why I was doing it, and I was always that kid in the back that was like, like doing a drum roll while the uh, teacher's trying to talk and like going, you know, just jamming back there, and the teacher's trying to, you know, instruct the other students, and I'm being distracting, and he would always give me a glare. Well, something I had to do. On top of that was I had to do private lessons throughout the week with the teacher. So every week you'd have to practice and you have to fill out your sheet and your parent would have to sign it. And I'm pretty sure I'd never practiced, but somehow I got my parents to sign it. I don't know. But uh, so so one week I got there and I realized that I or I got to school and I realized I forgot to have my parents sign my form saying I had practiced. And I was a straight A student and I found a lot of value in that. Like I felt like my Identity was kind of wrapped up in that. If I ever, like, if my grades were threatened, I would really act kind of wonky. And I knew that the lessons were a big part of the grade. I'm like, there's no way I can let my grade get hurt because I didn't, you know, get the signature. So I decided to forge this or to forge the signature. So I signed it once and I realized that doesn't look like mom's signature. So I crossed it out below that. So beneath the line, I tried again. I'm not I'm not joking. This is completely true. I don't... See, guys, when your identity is being threatened, you just act wonky. I sign again. That's not convincing. Scratch it out again. I tried a third time. Sign again. Nope, that doesn't scratch it out a third time. And then finally, like, on the side or something, I signed it. <laughs> like, with the space that was left over. I bring it to the teacher, and I'm, like, torn up inside because I had kind of, like, two competing emotions going on. There's the emotion, or this... this uh, the desire to get a good grade, right, that caused me to be weird. But then there's the other desire where I just really had a strong conscience as a kid. Like like during spelling tests, if I like saw the answer on another kid's paper, I would put the wrong spelling because I would feel bad that I saw it. So there's this weird competition of, of desires in my heart to get a good grade, but then to be a good kid. So I'm going in there, I hand it to him, and I'm like, like there's no, I'm thinking, I don't know what's gonna happen, but he looks at it for like two seconds. <laughs> He looks up at me. He's just angry, you know, just just kind of troubled. His face looked troubled. Like, what is going on with this child here? He's it's 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 kind of a mixture of anger and concern. And he's like, "Buddy, come on! Like, like, did you do this?" And I admitted it. And he ended up giving me grace in that moment. Said, "Obviously, you know, don't do that again." He knew I was a good kid and all that. But uh, but the point is, I acted really weird because I wanted to defend something, right? I wanted to defend my grade. And I just wanna say, I'm thankful for teachers and leaders that don't smash you when you mess up, right? We got some teachers in the house. I'm so thankful for teachers that can meet kids where they're at, and that's what he did for me. But I told him I was sorry I moved on. But, but the thing is, again, why do you think I, I forged that signature? I, I forged it because I felt like I had to defend myself. I was trying to defend my identity as a student who got good grades and did his homework. And not just that, I didn't trust that that just maybe there's someone who's stronger than me who might be willing to help me. I thought I was on my own. I didn't trust my teacher to give me grace. You know, I could have told him, hey, I forgot to get mom's signature this week, and he would have given me grace. I'm sure of it. I also didn't trust God. I had a relationship with Jesus at this point. I didn't trust God to work out my grade. If I had trusted God, I would have put integrity before my grades and trusted him to work out the details. I had given in to the lie that I had to fend for myself. And many of us go through life like this. We feel a constant need to defend ourselves. We feel that it's our responsibility to, to kind of fight for ourselves, to, or defend for ourselves. And if we don't defend ourselves, we just think nobody else is going to. And when we perceive danger, whether it's real or otherwise, we, we take matters into our own hands and act in really wonky ways. And hear me, it's a healthy thing to take responsibility for your life, all right? It's, it's healthy to do that. It's healthy to do what you can to take care of yourself. It's healthy to protect yourself from danger. If a car is coming at you, jump out of the way, right? God has given us instincts to defend ourselves. It's what you know, keeps us alive. Like biologically, it keeps us alive, this ability to defend ourselves. But oftentimes, we give in to unhealthy, sinful defense of ourselves. We react in sin when people hurt us. We tend to run from conflict, or we like run into it like, ah, let's go. Some of you are weird like that. Uh, we scoff when wise counsel tries to correct us and and challenge us. We kind of push back on them, and we sometimes will lie to defend our identity like I did. I believe we all can give in to a sinful defense at times, and there's so many reasons why we might get defensive, right? We could talk all day about this. We could try to diagnose this for everybody, but here's three things that I just thought of as I prayed about this. The Now, the first reason you might try to defend yourself or give into an unhealthy defense of yourself is abandonment. So some of us were abandoned as a child. Okay, so maybe a parent walked out on you or you had parents, but they were emotionally absent. Or maybe someone you looked up to, like a teacher or a pastor or someone that uh, you thought you could trust. Maybe they disappointed you. And the point is, somewhere along the way, you bought into the lie that you have to defend yourself. You can't trust anybody. You can't count on other people. So it causes you to be very really closed off and reactionary. The second reason why we might give into an unhealthy defense of ourselves is idolatry, okay? So idolatry, it's like worshiping idols. Uh, so, or so for some of us, we find our value in the things of this world. We find our value in things like money, power, popularity, status, being right, right? Some of us love to be right. Our God God is not Jesus, but it's something in this world. We are too attached to something in this world. And when that thing is threatened, we start acting really crazy. We start feeling a need to defend it. And we're kind of like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. My precious. Like, we don't want it taken from us, right? Like, three of you know what I'm talking about. But anyways, I feel weird now. I thought you would know that reference. But uh, so the ring, he loves the ring. They're trying to take it from him. And he, he acts weird, right? And when... And when we find our value in something in this world, when it's being threatened, we start acting really crazy. Okay, the third thing is insecurity. Some of us, I would say probably the majority of us are insecure in some way or the other. Our identity isn't grounded in Jesus and we don't truly know in our heart of hearts that God loves us and he's for us, even with all of our weaknesses, right? Even at our worst, he loves us, right? He, God loves us no matter what. Right, no matter what you do, no matter how crazy you act, he loves you. So then when someone, if you don't know this, when someone challenges you or makes you uncomfortable, you feel a need to kind of fight for yourself or to run from them because you're just not confident in who you are and whose you are. Every person, again, is different. It would take all day to diagnose all the reasons why we might be defensive. It's probably a combo of these things. But the point is, regardless of what causes it, this need to defend ourselves can manifest in two primary ways. You either fight or you flight. So we either aggressively defend ourselves against any danger or we retreat in fear. In fact, again, our our brains are wired to kick into fight or flight when we face danger. It's a natural instinct. When our brains perceive danger, the amygdala triggers these reactions. And these are very natural reactions that actually, we see in our text today, okay, when Jesus is arrested, one of his disciples, who we know as Peter from the Gospel of John, he tells us that in John, he fought, and he cut off an ear, and then the other one runs away naked, okay, so first, let's talk about Peter, so Jesus had said this earlier in his ministry, in Matthew 5, 5, in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to uh, follow me in this upside down kingdom in the midst of this world. You need to be meek. You need to be humble. You need to turn the other cheek, which is actually what he said in verse 38. He said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, so Peter, he obviously did not listen to these words, but he decided to take matters into his own hands. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the disciples who abandoned Jesus and then uh, the unidentified young man who runs away naked in shame to try to protect himself, and the need to fend for themselves caused Peter to act in an unchrist like aggression, and the young man to act in an unchristlike passivity, right Both are wrong, and the call was to stand firm in trust next to Jesus, but instead they either fought or fled and judas he 's an interesting case in this story he kind of has a little bit of both going on okay he felt like he He felt like he needed to betray Jesus to get ahead. He fights his uncertain future of following Jesus by taking matters into his own hands. And he also flees from the cost of following Jesus by betraying him. He fights uncertainty and runs from the cost of following Christ. Each of these wrong actions and reactions are rooted in a simple impulse to defend ourselves. And we've all been here. We've defended ourselves with unchristlike aggression or unchristlike passivity. And we've all either fought or fled when we feel unsafe. And we've all done what's easy and natural when God calls us to do what's hard and supernatural. We've all done what feels safe instead of what's holy, right? Okay, when I was in middle school, I had another instance of being defensive. I was playing football with my shirt off, and a bunch of guys were playing in someone's backyard. And one of the guys just thought he was hilarious. He kept smacking me on the back. I'm like, bro, I'm about to freak out, right? I'm about to get mad. So he did it just one time too many. And it felt like I was, I felt like one of those cartoon characters when smoke goes out their ears. And I chased him down. I was mad. I'm like, chased him into a field, a farm field, spun him around like this and just threw him into the field. And I was like, that'll show him. Yeah, get down. Don't slap me on the back ever again. I start walking away and all my friends that are over here are shouting, turn around, turn around. So I turn around and he's just coming at me like, oh no. I don't know what's gonna happen. He just pops me right in the forehead. I saw stars, I fell over. They're all coming around me like, dude, are you okay? What's going on? Okay, I learned a lesson that day. It's not always worth it to fight, right? I was mad about the backslapping, but it was not worth it. I got my clock cleaned, okay? So here's the thing. About twenty minutes later we made up. That's what's beautiful about young boys. Somehow we make up. You can punch me in the face and later we're hugging. I don't know. But but I learned the valuable instinct not to always give in, the valuable lesson not to always give in to my instincts. Uh, the way of Peter is typically not the right way to go. Put the sword down, buddy. All right. So what's beautiful about this text, though, is we don't just see people who get it wrong, but we also see someone who got it right. Okay. So while Jesus' friends they crumble under pressure and they revert to self-centered instinct, Jesus shows us a different way. Okay. Notice how intentional he was leading up to the betrayal. He was very intentional about preparing himself for this. Okay. He took his three or his three closest friends to the garden to pray and spend some time with his heavenly father. And he asked for the strength to complete the task that was ahead of him without fighting or fleeing. Okay, so this shows, and this is kind of a side note, but this shows the power of spiritual disciplines, like spending time in the word, prayer, silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath, and so forth. These vehicles that help us get into God's presence, they prepare us for uh, those times when the pressure's on, right? They prepare us for... For those moments when we need to act in a christ-like manner but it takes supernatural or supernatural strength to do so they make our spirit stronger and they beat our flesh into submission right jesus said that to the disciples he said your spirit's willing but your flesh is weak you need to pray right it helps us to make our spirit stronger and our flesh weaker okay well this or the sinful flesh weaker so uh then when jesus betrayal came instead of angrily fighting judas or fearfully running from god's will he gives himself up and trusting surrender to his father. He was ready for this moment. And he was even baffled at the thought that they brought uh, the swords and clubs to try to capture him. They didn't need the weapons. He was willingly giving himself up. He lived out the call to be meek and to turn the other cheek. So instead of defending, Jesus surrendered in trust. And this had to be so difficult, okay? So the Greek word that, or that Mark chooses for Jesus' kiss, carries this idea, not of like a modest kiss on the cheek, but kind of a lavish kiss. Okay, the word he used is very intentional. It's a lavish kiss, and it was meant to make a mockery of Jesus. After living with Jesus for three years, Judas hardened his heart against Jesus and openly mocked him, and and the worst part about it is he did it with what was supposed to be an act of love, right? Instead of a kiss between friends, it was a kiss of death. And this had to cut Jesus to the heart. It had to provoke him to anger. He's probably thinking... Judas, all the things I did for you, how could you do this to me? After everything I've done for you, he's probably thinking those thoughts. I'm sure there was part of him that just wanted to clock him right in the face, right? Don't you kiss me like that? You're about to betray me. There's probably part of him. Jesus was human, right? There's probably part in there. Or maybe he wanted to run. Well, we know that from the garden, There was a temptation to run from God's will. His brain had to have kicked into fight or flight mode. And yet, he was able to keep us cool and to give himself up. He was so grounded in his relationship with his heavenly father and his mission to the world that he was able to not fight or flight. He stood with peace in his heart and confidence in the future. And this is such a contrast to the disciples, right? The young man's running away, but Jesus, well, Peter's fighting and the young man's running away, but Jesus is just standing his ground and submitting himself to the will of God. And this is our call. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to be like him. Okay, so disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes. It means a student, pupil, or learner. Okay, so as disciples of Jesus, if you've put your faith in Christ, the call is just to be like a little Jesus and to live like him. So this is our call. We're called to be like our rabbi. Okay, so no matter what kind of or kind of threat we're facing in the world, we're called to love our enemies even when we're tempted to fight them, and we're called to surrender to God's will, even when we're tempted to run from it. Okay, we're called to surrender and trust. Okay this doesn't mean that you just foolishly put yourself in harm's way. Okay, it doesn't mean you never stand up against evil. Jesus he avoided being killed many times, right? Before the proper time. He avoided. And he stood toe to toe with evil over and over again. And he was not afraid to speak up and defend what was right. But it does mean that you don't feel the need to aggressively defend yourself or passively run from God's will. Instead, we love others even when it's difficult, we submit to God's will, even when it's confusing. And when we encounter someone we disagree with, we don't feel the need to or to run from them or to run from them like they're a threat or or to forcefully fight them. Instead, we gently engage with them, sharing the truth while leaving the door open for friendship. And when things are tight financially, we don't feel the need to panic, or to start acting irrationally, but instead we can quietly pray, work hard, and do our part, trusting our Father in heaven to supply our needs. We don't need to defend ourselves. We're not, we're not fending for ourselves. Or when a friend is struggling emotionally or, or with something, we don't feel the need to try to be their savior. Okay, hear me on this one. We don't feel the need to try to be their savior or to ride the roller coaster of emotion with them, right? Because it's not up to us to fix their life, but instead we can be actually what they need, which is a non-anxious presence of love compassion and stability okay we're not trying to defend anything or fight for anything we're just being there as Jesus to them or when we face unexpected bad news we don't run away from God or fight with him we can of course pour out our hearts to him but but we don't fight his will but instead we lovingly trust him even in the midst of confusion or when our character is being attacked we or we don't feel the need to prove that or to prove that we're awesome but instead we trust Jesus to vindicate us. Or on the other end, we don't allow the attacks of other people to put insecurity on our hearts, but instead we trust what Jesus says about us. It's getting a little deep this morning. Come on, somebody, you're loving it. All right, instead of reacting or running, we, we follow Jesus' example. Who spoke truth, he loved his enemies, and he surrendered to the will of God. Jesus, he Or he never felt the need to cower in fear. He never felt the need to angrily react. He used anger at times, but it was not a reaction. And he didn't feel a need to avoid God's will. And this is our call, but hey, here's the deal. It's easier said than done, right? It's almost impossible to live like this. How in the world do we get to a place of trusting surrender? Well, we got to circle back to last week's text. In the garden, this is what Jesus said to his father. He said, Abba, Father... All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, and yet, not what I will, but what you will. OK, so notice, we talked about this last week, but but the thing to notice is that Jesus called his father Abba. OK, so Abba is a term that, that carries a sense of intimacy and devotion, it, it, it carries a sense of trust. It, it's, it's almost like our word, daddy. It's kind of like that. And for all of eternity, Jesus experienced profound intimacy with his father and with the spirit And during his earthly life, he would often go off to lonely places to be with his father. Okay, so for Jesus, God was not an absent father, right? He was not, like, some of you view God like that. Like, he's, like, got better things to do than to talk to you. He's not an absent father who's looking at his phone or not paying attention to you. That's not who he is. To Jesus, he was a daddy who was very concerned with his life. And Jesus, he just trusted his father with his whole heart. He trusted him. He knew that, that the father's will was good. that his father would ultimately have his back. Okay, so the only way we're going to be able to surrender and trust is if we know our God is father, right? A good father, the best kind of dad in the world, a good father. If we're going to surrender when we face perceived danger, we'll need to know that God is our father. And we'll need to know that that we can trust him. And the solution for our, our fight or flight instinct is to feel safe, to feel safe think. where? In God's arms. Not in our circumstances, but in him. In Psalm 119, it says, you are my hiding place. This is David talking. In my shield, I hope in your word. Actually, I'm not positive if that's David. It's a psalmist. Okay? I just want to make sure I'm not saying something wrong. He says, you are my hiding place. In my shield, I hope in your word. Right? That has to be our heart before God when we're facing unexpected circumstances or we're facing a conflict with someone we love instead of reacting, fighting, running, we know that God is our father, he's our hiding place. Okay, but I think there's another piece to this too. Okay, the disciples, they just lose it in our story, don't they? They just go crazy. They're acting off of purely hum- or purely human instincts. You know, Peter again cutting off an ear, a young man streaking for the first time in recorded history. They lost all sense of dignity. In order to keep their cool in this tense moment, the disciples needed to understand what Jesus was doing. Okay, what was he doing by going to the cross? He was giving himself up on their behalf. He was facing the very wrath of God for all the sin and evil in the world, so they wouldn't have to. Okay, while Peter was using the sword to defend himself, Jesus was giving himself over to the sword that Peter deserved. Woo, come on, somebody right, right, Peter's picking up the sword. Jesus like, you don't need that. I'm taking the sword on your behalf, the sword of justice for your sin. And while the young man was defending himself by running away naked, I was going to say streaking again, but I don't know if he can handle it. So Jesus was allowing himself. Okay, so this is important. So, okay. So while the young man's running away, Jesus was allowing himself to be stripped and to be laid bare so that the young man could be clothed in white before God on the last day. Jesus was becoming naked so he could put garments of white on this young man. He was losing his dignity so the young man's dignity could be restored. On the cross, he gets what we deserve so, or so we can get what he deserves. Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven and became poor so each of us could become spiritually rich. And the reason in the reason any of us defend ourselves is because we're trying to protect something, right? We're trying to protect ourselves. We're protecting our rights or our pride, our comfort, our identity, our dignity. We're protecting something. If we can realize that Jesus gave up everything to protect us, then we can surrender. By giving up his life, Jesus secured our life. He secured our eternity. If we trust in him, nothing of true significance can be taken from us. Even if we face the worst possible fate in this life, which is death, we'll be raised up on the last day to be with God forever in the perfect new heavens and earth and everything will be restored. If we want to be able to truly surrender to Jesus, we have to see what he's doing here. The ultimate defender became defenseless in order to defend us. Okay, we can surrender and trust because Jesus is our defender. Come on, he's our defender. Jesus fights for you. He defends you. You don't have to defend anything. He's already defended you. And he continues to intercede on your behalf before the Father. He prays for you. He defends us. We have to see this. We have to get this. Because he made himself defend we are eternally defended. Okay, we don't have to defend anything anymore. And we can put away our swords and keep our clothes on. We don't have to fight or flight. We can joyfully and peacefully stand with our arms up and surrender. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has us. Okay, so so far we've seen we can surrender because God is, or God is our Father and Jesus is our defender. The Spirit has a role in this as well. It's, it's not in this passage, but I think it's important. Okay, here's the deal. When we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of our hearts. Ephesians 1 says this, it says, "In him you also, when you, were, or when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, the Holy Spirit, what's he do? He does a lot of things, but one thing he does is he guarantees our salvation. Okay, he's our seal saying or saying we're headed to eternity with God. When he comes to live on the inside of our hearts, it's God's stamp on us saying we're headed for eternity with him. Okay, so we can surrender and trust because the Spirit of God is our guarantee. God's precious Holy Spirit lives in this inside each of our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives inside each of our hearts who trust in Jesus, right? He comes and he lives in us. In the Father, Son, and Spirit, we don't need to defend ourselves anymore. The Father calls us his own, the Son defends us, and the Spirit lives inside of us. To be set free from the need to defend ourselves, we have to get this, the triune God has our backs. He's working overtime on our behalf and we have nothing to prove, nothing to defend anymore. Okay, we're called, this is the main idea, we're called to surrender to our defender. And yes, it rhymes and I love it. We're called to surrender to our defender. As I was preparing this sermon, I could not help but admit to myself that I can be rather defensive. Specifically when someone is critical of me. If someone thinks I'm not doing a good job, I can react primarily in fear, but then it comes out in anger as well. And this manifests itself most often in my marriage. Does anyone ever argue with their spouse? Just me. OK, anyways, you're all looking at me like, oh, he's, he's got issues. But if Emily challenges me, which wives should do, right, and husbands should do in a loving way, OK? If Emily challenges me, I can just kind of rashly react. All of a sudden, my brain's over there and I'm acting weird, I'm acting wonky. It's like I'm trying to, to forge a signature four times in a row. And I react by critiquing her back. Well, what about you? What about what you did last week, girl? Come on, what about that? Let's talk about that. I like that. I like talking about that. <laughs> I tell her, hey, hey, I think you're wrong and here's why, right? You know, That's why I do that. It's not because I'm bad, right? Okay, why does a simple critique bother me so much? Okay, part of my journey and growing in my defensiveness is identifying why I'm defensive. And as I've explored this, I've realized when someone criticized me, I, I feel like they're attacking my identity. And for my entire life, my entire life I've had this tendency to find my identity in how well I behave and in how much I can produce. Growing up, I found my identity in getting good grades and doing well in sports and music and behaving better than my friends. As an adult, I find my identity in being a really good dad, being a good husband, being a good pastor. And when someone critiques me, it can feel like it's attacking who I am. And I think I'm in general, I'm a confident person in general, but I have some insecurity that I need to work out if I want to become less defensive. I have to figure out that that my identity is in Jesus alone. It's not something I can just get in my head, it has to get in my heart. Like the father calls me son. I'm a son, if I got straight F's, I'm still a son. If I stunk at football, which I really wasn't that good anyways, but I tried to make myself feel like I was good enough anyways. If I stunk at football, (laughs) he he still loves me, right? If I don't make the starting lineup, I had to make the starting lineup. If I didn't make it, I don't know what would have happened. If I didn't make the starting lineup, it's gonna be okay. If I mess up, if I react in anger to my kids, it's okay, he still loves me, he still loves me. If I don't treat my wife the way that Christ treats the church all the time, it's okay, he still loves me, I need to grow in it, but but he still loves me. If I'm not the perfect pastor who's there for everyone, just whenever they need me and I do everything I'm supposed to do and I make all the right decisions, if I'm not perfect pastor, he still loves me, he calls me son. Jesus became defenseless for me. I don't have anything to defend, there's nothing to prove. He's already defended it all. He's already proved everything. You know, when God looks at me, he sees the blood of Christ covering me. I have nothing to defend. In the spirit of God, he lives on the inside of my heart. I get to talk to him every day and he's telling me you're headed towards eternity with God. That has to be my identity, not what I do. I should be able to leave this church, resign. My identity is still in a good place because my identity is not in being a good pastor. No, it's in being God's son. That's where my identity has to be found and when that happens I can handle people criticizing me and it doesn't it's not going to bother me. Of course I want to get better, I want to grow all that, but it's not going to bother me like it did before. And when Emily challenges me, I can humbly receive it and say she's not saying I'm a terrible husband. She's just trying to help me grow. Right? she's trying to help me get better. She's not saying I stink at this. Like she loves me. She speaks words of affirmation over me all the time. It's not an attack on my identity. It's just an area to grow in. And here's the thing, I'm never gonna be perfect. We're all gonna get defensive at times, right? So so when I do get defensive, I need to identify that and practice repentance, and, and, and to repent of it as quickly as possible. Don't let it sit there for a long time. If you, if you identify defensiveness rising up in you, just repent of it. Even in the moment, you can say, you can tell if you're having a conflict with someone. Okay, you can tell I'm being a little worked up. I'm just struggling, I'm just being defensive. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be, right? It's okay to do that in that moment. It, or to do that with your spouse, or to do that with your spouse, say, hey, you're just kind of poking at something that just really it caused me to act weird. Just give me some space for a minute. I just need to, to kind of have a moment to sit with God. Right? It's okay to do that. It's okay to repent quickly and to ask God to heal that. That's the only way we're gonna be able to grow in this. And also, that's why it's so important to have spiritual disciplines in your life because you need to relax in what God says about you. That's what spiritual disciplines, you're opening yourself up to the love of God, right? When you read the Bible, it's not proving anything, right? God's not like, wow, you read the Bible today? Brownie points, woo, awesome, good job, man. <laughs> wow, I love you a lot right now. Or when you pray like, wow, oh my goodness, you Sabbath. Like, no, that's not what it's for. It's it's to open yourself up to the love of God. It's to open yourself up to his reminders of of how much he loves you and he's for you and, he, and he's on your side, right? That's what spiritual disciplines are for. So you need to, to make a practice of relaxing in God's love through spiritual disciplines. Okay, so what's your journey look like? Are you defensive? If so, why do you think that is? Why are you defensive? Did someone who was supposed to be, or someone who was supposed to be there for you, someone who was supposed to uh, to be someone you could trust, did they bail on you? And has that caused you to think God's gonna bail on you? Or has that caused you to think that there's no one out there who's stronger than you who can defend you? And do you feel like you're an orphan in this world, like you're on your own, like you just kind of have to figure it out yourself? Do you feel like you have to fend for yourself? Or maybe you're struggling with idolatry, right? You got your my precious something and you're trying to cling to it. There's something in this world that you're clinging to, your popularity, your money, your status, your success. If that's the case, you may be struggling with defensiveness because you're trying to defend these things. Or are you like me? And maybe you're just a little bit insecure at times. You're not sure who you are and whose you are. You've found your identity in something other than Jesus. The first step is to identify what's causing you to be defensive. And then you need to repent and receive healing and invite Jesus into that. And then relax in what he says about you. And remember that your father is never going to abandon you. Because Jesus was willing to be, or to have the father's back turned towards him, right that's what he did on the cross the father had to turn his back because jesus was willing to do that the father will never turn his back on you that's what jesus did for us right he had to feel that weight and the reason he did it is so we could just live day by day no matter how much we're struggling knowing that god loves us and he's for us and he'll never turn his back on us the father will not abandon you and also remember jesus is way better than anything in this world right all your idols they're crummy They're not going to deliver what they promise you. Jesus is the only thing worth clinging to. And if you trusted in Jesus, you need to learn to get your identity wrapped up in him. It's not about what you do. It's about whose you are. If we can get this, we can surrender. We can love our enemies and serve them no matter how difficult they are. And we can walk into whatever storm that life is throwing at us, trusting the father's will in the midst of it right in the storm and i think it's a mark four when jesus or there's a storm going on the disciples are freaking out like they're on the lake they're freaking out and jesus is taking a nap on the cushion just sleeping during the storm right if you trust god if you know whose you are no matter what storm is going on in the world you can take a nap next to jesus knowing that he has you right that's the call and if you can get this you can put down your sword and keep your clothes on right you can stand in peace and surrender All right, let's stand all across this room. We're gonna close. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray that God would do something that only he can do and that he would help us to surrender, help us to truly know whose we are and who we are. But before I do that, I just feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. So if you came in here this morning and you're not walking in right relationship with God, I wanna give you a chance to surrender to him this morning and accept what he's done for you on the cross Jesus gave it all for you he he paid your penalty he died so you wouldn't have to right he died so you wouldn't have to right? so if you want to put your trust in Jesus I want to give you a chance to do that this morning so what we're going to do we bring the lights down if that's you I want to know who I'm praying for and you don't have to you know come up to the altar if you don't want to but if you could just slip up your hand right now so I know who I'm praying for if you want to put your trust in Jesus just do it boldly just put your hand up saying hey I'll saying i want to put my trust in jesus or recommit i see that hand is there anyone else this morning that just needs to put their, i see that hand back there i see that hand is there anyone else she needs to put their trust in jesus maybe for me for the first time or recommit i just right, about three or four people with their hands up i think i see another one about five people go ahead and put your hands up. i'm trying to pray for you if you could pray in your heart just a simple prayer of surrender to jesus saying jesus i am just putting my trust in you and I, I i'm trusting what you did for me that's all you got to do okay so let's pray Jesus, right now, for those four or five people that just raised their hand, saying they want to put their trust in you right now, we pray that you would do something utterly supernatural in their heart, that that you would not just make this something they know is true in their head, but something that they know is true in their heart, that you have come to live on the inside. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Be old, the old is gone. It's gone and the new has come. God, I pray that that would be a lived reality right now, that the new would come, that the blood of Jesus would cover all of our sins, God. God, that there... You know, there will be no doubt whose we are from this point on. Yes, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your, your sacrifice, and we repent of our sins, and we receive the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Can we give God praise all across the room? Come, come on. Come on. He's moving. He's moving. Right? So, Woo! come on rejoicing right now yeah. Yeah. if even one person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, heaven is erupting with joy, yeah. death to life, that's what we're all about at Send Church is seeing people come to faith in Christ and become like Jesus, that's what we want to see happen guys, I'm praying for Easter Sunday, we got baptisms coming up on Easter Sunday and I'm praying that there would be so many people wanting to get baptized as a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm praying we would do our part to bring people into Jesus' presence, right, so I'm just getting excited about that but at this time, what I want to do, I just want to pray for that spirit of surrender all across this room. So go ahead. If you're comfortable, just put up your hands to heaven, right? Let's put our hands to heaven and ask the Lord to help us to surrender to him. All right, Jesus, right now, we want to be a people who are not defensive. We have nothing to uh, nothing to defend in your presence. God, help us to know that you are our father. And Jesus, help us to know that you are our defender. And Spirit, help us to know that you are our, our guarantee. God, we love you we thank you in jesus name amen amen let's worship jesus one more time the altars are open the prayer team's going to be up here if you want prayer with someone i encourage you to go and pray with them and if you did put your trust in jesus i just want to encourage you to talk to someone about it today don't leave this place without telling someone that you put your faith in jesus all right let's seek the lord